0: This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. By the reading of God's word. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, family. How are we doing? Doing well? Good. Glad to hear that. Uh, My name is Jason Hermansdorfer. If we haven't got to meet yet, I serve our church as the executive director. Much more importantly than that, I'm also a husband and a daddy. As many of you guys know, I've been married to Amanda for seven years, coming up in March, which is now the month. So that's good. And uh, we have two sons. We have Julian, who is seven, who at the 9 a.m. will often run around uh, during the announcements and benedictions. So you guys missed that. Sorry that you're not able to be part of that. And Zeke is going to be five months this month. or Yeah. So that's exciting. Love those boys. Uh, Our family, like many of you all, uh, providentially stumbled our way here. Um, And we've been gathering and worshiping Jesus and walking in faith with this church community for the past seven years. So thank you uh, for being you and for letting us be a part of that. It's been a gift from God to be with you guys. Um, We love being here. We love being in Nashville. But the city's cool, but the people... Um, are much better. That's a good reason to stay. Uh, So we really do love this church. Um, If you were here with us last week, then you know that we commissioned a team of disciple makers uh, going to India. And so they are on the ground there. That has happened. They left midweek and they are in India. I got two texts from Jeremy this morning. Uh, The first one said to me, get up, preach Jesus and sit down. (laughs) And so That's what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, And the second one is he said, tell the church that I love them and that I'm praying for them. So your pastor is still pastoring you even when he's not here, which is a beautiful thing. If you were with us last week, you also know that we're back in our series in the book of Luke And so this is our 14th week studying the book of Luke. We took some time away for Advent. We took some time away for a beginning of the year refocusing series that we always do uh, called Fight the Drift. And now we're back uh, in the book of Luke. And as a church in this series, we want to see Jesus for who he is according to the Bible. And specifically uh, from the gospel account of St. Luke. So what do we know about Luke? Luke was a doctor. Uh, he was a historian, a very highly educated man, especially for this uh, time period. He's a companion of Paul, Paul the apostle, Paul the church planter, Paul who authored most of the New Testament. He is a Gentile, meaning he's not Jewish. Which I think it's significant because it means that Luke has no cultural precondition or ethnic incentive to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Luke comes to faith through the testimony of other people. He's a second generation Christian. And so um, these things are significant to know about the author of the words we're going to read. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. This short little section is called The Calling of Levi. So if you have a Bible, open it, Luke 5, 27-32. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one. Uh, we have them in the seat in front of you. Uh, it's important to read along uh, with the text to hold me accountable <laughs> as you do that. So please open a Bible and, and have that with you during our time together. And as you're turning in your Bibles to this section, Luke 5, 27-32, here's some context for our time together. So in the previous verses... Uh, we've seen that Jesus has healed a paralytic man whose friends actually open the roof of the house that he's healing at to lower their friend down on a mat because the house is so crowded. There's no other way for them to get their uh, paralyzed friend before Jesus. And we, we know that Jesus heals this man, the man who, who enters through the roof paralyzed, picks up his mat, and walks out of the room. That's significant, right? But there's something even more significant that's happening in this story. You see, as part of this particular miracle, Jesus has claimed to have the power and authority to forgive people's sins. So as part of this supernatural healing, Jesus tells the crowd and particularly the religious leaders of the day that his power over the physical as demonstrated in this healing is more significantly a proof it's more significantly evidence of his spiritual power and authority over all things, including the forgiveness of human sin. And as you know, this claim upsets the religious leaders of the day because as experts of God's word, they know that only God can forgive human sin. The scriptures tell us that man's relationship with God has been broken by our sin. Sin is our inner craving to overthrow the rule of God in our lives. We, we want to do our own thing in our own way. Ultimately, we, we want to be the God of our own lives. And this rebellion against our creator God, it breaks our relationship with God. And since we, have, we are the ones who have offended the eternal God, since we're the ones who have broken our relationship with God, only God can act To forgive this offense. And so, claiming to possess the authority to forgive sins is a claim to be God. And that's called blasphemy. And we know that in this particular time of human history, blasphemy is punishable with the death penalty. So, before we get into our text, I do want to extend a welcome to anyone who is uh, skeptical of Jesus, anyone who's a doubter of Jesus, anyone who's not sure what they think about the Bible. Um, thank you for coming here. It's, it takes a, a lot of bravery to come and consider Jesus and, and be in a Christian church. Many of us have been hurt by the church, and so even being here is a big, is a big deal. So thank you for, for being brave to come here. Um, we hope this is a safe space to consider Jesus, to have doubts. Um, something that makes it safe is that we all have doubts, I have doubts as I prepared for this sermon. And so Christians are not those people who don't have any doubts. Let's get that out of the way. Um, Yet, God is helping us along the way, and God is granting more faith day by day. And so as part of our own journey as a church, we have said, we want to be a people who think and deeply consider what Scripture is saying. So as a people who, are care- who think carefully about God's word, there is a clear challenge to the critical mind. Because our text today can't really be interpreted without the foundation that at the very least, Jesus thinks he's God. If you won't grant him anything else, Jesus believes himself to be God. And at the most, something that I believe and that many of us believe, Jesus is truly God. God. And for all of us, believer and skeptic, what we believe about this claim is the most important thing that we can believe. If Jesus is God, then it changes everything about human history. It changes everything about why you're here and what your life is ultimately about. If Jesus is God, then we must listen and obey everything that he says. So as we prepare to learn from Jesus, here's the outline of our time together. Because I'm a very linear thinker. I like to take notes. I'm kind of setting this up for those those note-takers. So Jesus has just claimed to have the power and authority to forgive sins. So in our text today, Jesus himself guides us through two elements of God's forgiveness. Today, Jesus is going to help us see, one, what type of person is this forgiveness for? And two, how does this forgiveness happen? So one, who is the forgiveness for? What type of person qualifies for forgiveness? And second, how does it happen? What must take place between God and man for our relationship to be restored? So that's where we're going. And I hope that you're not here for Jason's opinions on the book of Luke. Um, I'm, I'm not here for that either. And what, what is happening in this moment is that we're saying in his mercy and kindness, God uses really broken people to uh, give his truth, to convey his truth to his people. And so, what this is not about me. This is about what the Spirit can do through his word, which is why we stay anchored to the word so we don't get too far from that. So, I want to submit this time to God because it's God's moment, not my moment. Um, And I want you to do the same because you're not here for me and I really don't have anything for you. Um, But God has a lot for you and we know that his word doesn't return void. And actually he can do a hundred things in a hundred different hearts um, through his word. And that's what we're trusting uh, to be true. So let's submit our time together to him. Father, you're so kind. Thank you for uh, visiting us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, who you are and how you have been the initiator toward us. Lord, make our hearts soft. We want to hear from you. We don't want to hear from Jason. Lord, open our our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our um, minds to know you and our hearts to experience you, to taste and to see that you are good. Make us soft, Lord. Make us sensitive to your voice. Speak to each person as you would would do. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, knowing that you hear us because of Jesus and his finished work, not because of anything that we have done. Amen. All right, so we are in Luke 5, 27 through 32. Jesus calls Levi. Please uh, read along with me here. After this, which is to say, after Jesus has healed the paralytic man, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. So before we go any further, what we need to understand about tax collectors is this. In Levi's case, we have a Jew who has betrayed his own people and signed up to help Rome, which is the occupying military force, collect taxes. So he's helping the occupying military force collect taxes from his own people. So what we have is a traitor. And he's not just a traitor. He's he's actually the worst kind of traitor because he's really rich. Because tax collecting paid really well. So Levi, though he is a Jew, isn't struggling under the oppression of Rome like most of of the other Jewish people. Because here's how tax collecting worked. Rome asked for a certain amount And anything that the tax collector could collect above and beyond was his to keep. So there is a lot of incentive, as you can imagine, for the tax collectors to take just a little bit more than what was actually being asked. So bottom line, Levi is profiting off the oppression of his own people. And so with that in mind, you'd say certainly there's no room for a man like this in the inner circle of Jesus, right? Let's, let's, pick about, let's start again in 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, you wicked sinner, better that you had never been born. No. Nope. <laughs> That's not what Jesus says. Let's start again. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. So Levi, the tax collecting, backstabbing, profiting off the oppression of his own people, traitor is sitting at the tax booth. And one one commentary said, if he's sitting at the booth, he's not collecting taxes. So he's probably sitting there shuffling through his dirty money, right? He makes zero effort toward Jesus. Levi does nothing. Jesus does everything. And Jesus meets Levi in his present mess and he changes his future. And if you're a Christian, that's your story too. God is always the initiator in our story. He saves us by pure, unearned, unmerited, undeserved grace. And so, to the doubter, to the skeptic um, that's with us, I don't know what you've heard about Jesus from the news, from your friends, from culture, maybe even another. Christian church, but this right here is God's posture toward his children. He's not, like many believe, sitting in heaven, arms crossed, looking skeptically, waiting for you to blow it again like he just did last week. He's a God of extravagant grace for unlikely sinners like me and like you. His reflex is mercy. God's own word tells us that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not fear of God. It's the wooing kindness that draws us back. That's why it's safe to repent because that's the love that God has for us. And so I hope that we're experiencing the kindness of God through his word today. And so to my Axis family, don't forget this. If God has enough grace to save you, he has enough grace to save anyone. You were as hard to save as anyone has ever been. So let's remember this as we pray for unbelieving friends and family members. Don't give up. Fight for faith. He is able to save the arm. No one is beyond the saving arm of Jesus. And It is a beautiful legacy to endure long suffering and prayer for friends and family members that don't believe. So don't give up. It's a long journey. We know that that God can do it. And it is beautiful to endure years and decades praying for that mom, that dad, that son, a friend. So, So continue, press on in prayer for your family and your friends. And let's also allow this truth to humble us, Access Church, as we often, myself included, drift toward judging others who don't live the way that we do, especially, and we know this is true, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're so prone to look across the church and judge those um, who are in the family. And let's remember this, guys. Faith, obedience mercy, compassion, generosity that we have, it's all a gift from God. It is none of that is stuff that we muster, that we come to on our own. It's all a gift. Being a generous person is a gift from God. Being a compassionate person is a gift. Even having faith, being in this room, having the desire to go to church, that's a gift. That's from God. Don't act like it's not. So stay humble, Jason, and stay humble, family. All right, let's get back to it. Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. Stop there, because the gospel's on display here. Levi doesn't make Jesus a feast to get Jesus to like him or to get Jesus' favor, right? Right? Jesus comes to tax collecting, profiting off the oppression of his own people, Levi, and saves him. And then Levi throws the feast. So any, any obedience that we have is, is worship-fueled from what Jesus has done for us. So remember that. That's a good gospel implication here. So, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So we see here, Levi is radically changed by Jesus. In Jewish culture, to share a meal with someone was a symbol of brotherhood and even a spiritual unity uh, as a harmony. It was a wholeness and a peace under and in the presence of God. So Levi's making a public statement. He's telling everybody, all his friends, I'm a new person. The old Levi is gone and the new has come. And he wants everyone to know that he's been transformed by Jesus. So in the story of the paralytic, we see the paralyzed man gets up off his mat and carries his mat out of the room. We know he was changed by Jesus. And so when the tax collector throws a feast for the rabbi, we know that he, too, has been radically changed by Jesus. In some additional context for Levi, Levi is also known as Matthew. Matthew is part of Jesus' most intimate group of 12. So this man goes from profiting off the oppression of Jewish people to being a disciple of Jesus, one of the 12. He's an apostle. He wrote the book of Matthew We have his gospel account in our Bibles. So this man is radically transformed. And this feast is a dramatic public statement. But Levi isn't the only one making a public statement with the feast, because Jesus is also making a very public statement here. Jesus' fellowship with Levi's crew stands against the common thought of the religious leaders of this day, which was Jews are good. And Gentiles are bad. Jews are the chosen people of God who God will one day come and rescue. And Gentiles are the enemies of God who will one day be destroyed. So Jesus here is showing us that forgiveness is for all kinds of people, not just a particular people from a certain tribe who look a certain way and follow certain laws. So to answer our first question, who is forgiveness for? Forgiveness is for everyone who will follow Jesus. Jew and Gentile, oppressed and oppressor, poor and rich, for the one running away from God's pleasure, greed, materialism, and also the one running away from God to religion. Because some of us are hiding from a true and personal and intimate relationship with God by staying busy and preoccupied with ministry activity and religious performance. Yet anyone who will acknowledge their sin, repent and follow Jesus, is welcomed into the kingdom of God. All right, let's jump back into verse 30. So they're reclining at the table, and the Pharisees, who always seem to be around, um, they start grumbling like they do. So here, uh, verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This is to say, why do you associate with evil, unclean outsiders? Jesus, why do you treat outsiders like they're insiders? Verse 31. And Jesus answered them Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The religious leaders are confused why Jesus and his disciples would treat outsiders like they are insiders, because they believe their religious performance made them different, better, and distinct from other people. And Jesus responds to their self-righteousness in this way. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, I have not come to call the one who thinks he is righteous, but rather the one who knows that he's not. So Jesus says here, only those who acknowledge that something is wrong with them would ever submit to the diagnosis of a doctor. And likewise, only those who acknowledge that there's something wrong inside will receive the invitation to repent and follow a savior. With physical pain, we can pretend that we're healthy for as long as we want. But eventually, we either have to go submit to our pain and go get some help, or we'll suffer and maybe even die in our stubborn pride. And here, Jesus is addressing educated religious folks. So let this be a warning to us, Axis Church, because Jesus is showing us how dangerous it can be to swim in the waters of religion. We all need to hear this, and I probably need to hear this more than any of you, (laughs) because there is such a temptation to believe that these things, ministry activity, is justifying myself before Jesus. So hear this, and I'm preaching to myself as well. The scariest element of pride, that feeling of being an insider, especially pride that comes through religious performance, is that when we believe that something we have done makes us especially eligible for God's grace, that feeling inside actually prevents us from receiving God's pure grace on God's terms. So I'm gonna say that again because that was a lot. The scariest element of pride, that that feeling that we have that we're, in, we're an insider and they're maybe not. The scariest element of that, especially the pride that comes through religious activity um, and, and religious performance, is that when we believe that we're bringing something to the table that makes us especially qualified for grace, it's that exact feeling that prevents us from receiving God's grace on his terms. Pride from being involved in church, pride from theological knowledge, Um, self-righteousness, because we're the ones who do the right thing, self-righteousness from helping others, pride from being well thought of, even pride from caring for the poor, even pride from serving others. This pride produces within us a defense mechanism so that when we hear that Jesus came to save sinners, we think of somebody else, right? Jesus has come for sinners who know they're messed up, and many of us come to Jesus thinking that we're mostly okay. And perhaps this is true for you, it's definitely true for me. My heart wants to strut around in religious swagger, even in preaching, guys. Like, this is something that's happening in my head now. I'm wrestling with this even now. I want you to like me. I want you to think that I did a good job. It is hard to believe that what I'm doing this morning is not in some small way justifying me before God. And guys, I know, this, I know the scriptures. I know What the Bible says. My head says, saved by grace. If you ask me that, I will say that all the time. But my heart says, Did you see this? Did you hear about that? We sent a team to India, we had a gospel and race panel. We're doing discipleship groups. We gather in the city. Stop. Jesus is clear to me and to you that this type of confidence in ourselves is not the way that God's grace must be received. Church, we must receive it as a free gift. Romans 3:23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Church, by the work of the Spirit, let's put away all religious swagger and be people who humbly limp our way to the feet of Jesus each and every day. Because guys, there's two ways to get to God. And Isaiah reminded me of this this morning. It's wonderfully uh, appropriate. This is God speaking. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So guys, we can go high or we can go low. But we can't go high. (laughs) (laughs) So we got to go low because you can either be perfect. There is a way to get to God in perfection. God is there. But we can't get there. We can't get there that way. So we have to go low. We must have contrite and lowly spirits. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So to answer our second question, how does this forgiveness work? God's forgiveness for human sin is by grace alone. It's not a status to be earned. It's a gift that must be received. Nothing you do can make you more or less qualified for his grace, because grace is only grace when it's entirely unmerited, and we must receive it on these terms. His grace... Can only fill the emptiness of our need. Jesus is clear. He can't be your healer if you don't think there's anything wrong with you. And it's, it's not so much that He can't, but rather God's salvation is accessible only through pure grace. And Jesus is telling us if we think ourselves to be righteous, if we don't come as empty sinners, We won't receive his forgiveness as pure grace, and we may, in fact, miss it altogether. Receiving, and and a lot of us church folks think, oh, I did that. I did receive grace with empty hands when I got saved, when I was eight. Receiving grace with empty hands is not a one-time thing that happens at salvation. Receiving grace with empty hands is the daily activity of our sanctification, and so we've got to make sure that our hands are empty so that we can receive it that way. Acknowledging sin, repenting, receiving grace is how we put it's one foot in front of the other. That little acknowledging, repenting, receiving is the walk of the Christian. This is the journey of faith. And another way of thinking about this inner work is that daily repentance is the shovel that is carving out room in our hearts for God's grace to fill in on top of that. And so I grew up in Florida, so I'm going to hit you with a beach analogy now. So some of us, not all, have been to the beach. And when you stand at the edge of the ocean, just in that, that space where the water rushes up eat with each wave and hits you in the, in the knees... And if you take a shovel and you start digging a hole where you stand, the incoming water with each wave will completely fill that hole every time. And in this moment, as we have our shovel at the metaphorical beach, uh, we're looking out over the ocean. When you're looking out over the ocean, it's very obvious that me and my shovel could never dig a hole that the ocean could not fill. And And this is the abundance of God's grace for you. On the cross, Jesus secured for us all the grace that we would ever need. Moment by moment, repentance is our shovel that creates more space for his grace to fill in. The deeper and the wider the hole we dig through repentance, the more and more space we have for his grace to come in and fill it. So let's be Christians who dig deep and wide around the space of our hearts, repenting of even the littlest sin, the littlest thought, because it's a safe space when we're repenting to a good God. And so in this way, remembering our need for grace is the most important thing we can do. And one way we acknowledge that we need help is by coming and gathering as a church, just showing up here says something like, I don't have it all together. (laughs) I need some help. And and part of how we do that at our church is uh, we share in communion each week. And communion is a simple yet profound remembrance that Jesus is all that we need. The bread representing his body broken for us. On, On the cross, Jesus was broken so you would never have to be. Your sin does deserve death. But Jesus has died in your place. And that, that looks like this. On the cross, we give Jesus all of our bad, and he gives us all of his good, all of our sin to Jesus, him dying for that, all of his righteousness to us. The wine of the juice represents his blood poured out for you, and the forgiveness of your sin. Sin does require death. Jesus spilled his blood as a substitute for your sin, to bring you back to God, the righteous one for the unrighteous many. And so to the one who has not yet trusted Jesus, acknowledge your need to be reconciled to God. Repent of sin and follow him. Repentance is a a big religious word that sounds scary, but it's really not. Around here we say repentance is simply turning to Jesus to find the satisfaction we thought we could find somewhere else. And look at the Jesus that you're turning to, such a gracious friend of sinners. He is what we have been looking for the whole time. All of our searching for meaning and purpose and satisfaction, it's all found in being restored to God through the finished work of Jesus. And his welcoming grace is waiting for you to follow him. So this morning, if that's you, if you're finding faith for the first time, if God is granting that gift to you, don't take communion, take Jesus. We would love to walk with you through that and begin that journey. And to my Axis family, as you experience this meal of remembrance, I want you to consider what I am daily discovering to be a very revealing question. So our work as a church is not done. Axis Church What self-righteousness in your heart is keeping you from coming to Jesus each day as an empty sinner in need of grace? Remember, guys, the grace isn't only how we're saved. The entire journey is learning to receive more and more of his grace, that repenting and being filled moment by moment. Put the question another way. When you look around this room with these people. What thoughts do you have about why you belong here? When you see the other people, and especially Christians, what pride hiccups out of your comparison to other people? Perhaps it's this. I make sense here because I read my Bible more than most people. Of course I'm here I have good answers to tough theological questions. I know what I believe. I make sense here because I'm responsible with my time and money. The church really needs more people like me. I belong here because I serve way more than most people. This place would probably fall apart if I left. Of course I'm here. I care about the poor and injustices more than most people do. It's a really good thing that I'm here. I belong here because I'm on stage. I'm such a good leader. These people are fortunate that I'm here. I belong here because I do things right as a parent. I make sense here because of how hardworking and driven I am. If I didn't get things done, then no one else would. Family. Consider this. Ask God to reveal to you any self-righteousness that you are attempting to add to the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And let's repent and return to Jesus as empty sinners in need of saving grace. As the song says so beautifully, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. We never get healthy enough to outgrow our need for Jesus. Church, with empty hands, repent and receive again the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Be free from religious duty, Axis Church. Lay aside any pride that has come from religious performance. Lay everything aside and bring Jesus nothing. Church, bring Jesus as much nothingness as you can in acknowledging your emptiness, repenting of sin, and following Jesus, you will receive an abundance of grace beyond your wildest imagination. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that grace is a gift. Lord, help us, help me speak to my own heart, speak to our hearts as we consider what things we're trying to add to Jesus and his finished work. God, we know in our heads that it's all about grace, but our hearts are are very hard, and, and we have a very difficult time believing it to actually be true. So please help us. We are in need. Visit us, reveal sin, and give us the grace to repent. Thank you for filling us with grace as we find more emptiness in ourselves. Pray these things in Jesus' name. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.